This is Kincaid and Breckenridge, exclusively on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. This is the Kincaid and Breckenridge Highlights podcast. At 11 o'clock this morning, we uh, we got to inter- interview Chaos, who's nominated for a Juno Award. The Juno Award's taking place here this weekend. We talked to Chaos about uh, the awards, what they mean, and, and Canadian music, uh, the industry, and the, the culture of it in general. We also did some reminiscing about the Calgary Corral as the Hitmen get set to play a playoff game in the Corral the first time in, I think, like 18 years. But uh, the clock is ticking on the Corral. We spoke with Bart Daly, who that's, was the voice of the Calgary you know, Flames. That's my dad, you know. He is also Roger's dad. It would have made more sense for me to... That is true. To, to inter, yeah. <clears throat> well, we spoke with him nonetheless. Uh, give it a listen. Thanks for uh, listening to the Highlights Podcast. And you can listen to us weekdays 930 to 1230 on Newstalk 770. All right, welcome back. I'm Roger. That's Rob. It's a Juno weekend, and uh, we got a lot of Juno Award nominees in town this weekend, like this guy. Oh, I love this song. Yeah, this is one. I thought this was such an awesome earworm. And I kind of thought, too, about this song, by the way, when it was in, like, high rotation on Canadian radio, that it'd be cool. I'm going to roll back to the start. That's, like, 10 years old, that song, isn't it? Oh, yeah, totally. Well, I don't know about 10 years. Like, 8 years old, maybe? 7 or 8 years old? But but here, just listen to this part here. You should just hear that everywhere you go. Like, this should be your walking around music just on a loop. Uh, you know? That song, Roger, I believe, was on the 2004 album Joyful Rebellion. All right. You win. Uh, <laughs> it did, uh, by the way, win uh, Juno Award for Single of the Year. So there. And a Much Music Video Award, by the way, for Best Pop Video. I could go on. You could go on. Let's talk to this guy. Why don't we talk to this guy? talk to the man himself. Chaos joins us on the phone right now. Uh, Chaos, welcome to the show. It's good to have you. Hey, man, how you doing? Real, We're doing real, real good. Now, are you in Calgary yet, or are you uh, en route to Calgary? I, I leave first thing in the morning, so I'm in Vancouver right now, which is also where I reside in this country. Well, that's a nice place to live. I'll give you that. Beautiful. <laughs> so, congratulations. Yeah. I was going to say it's very interesting to hear, to eavesdrop on two people talking about your music. It's probably the biggest pleasure that you could have. Oh, really? Being a musician, yeah. It's funny to hear people's opinions and... Um, that song in particular, what you said about it being walking around music, it's actually upright bass, and that's called a walking bass line. So it all fits. You're <laughs> completely correct. See that? So I know, you know what you're talking about, Roger. Knows, nice yeah, for a guy who can't play a lick of music, I sure know uh, one thing about it. Um, <laughs> so, I, I, I mean, I think that every day, so there you go. <laughs> Wicked. So, um, yeah, I mean, where to begin with this? I got a couple questions, and some of them might be controversial, uh, Cass, based on, on some stuff I've said in the past about the Juno Awards, but... I mean, one of the questions is uh, about these awards, like the Canadian Music Awards, but are they, are they Canadian Music Awards or are they awards for musicians who are Canadian? Um, I mean, well, you know, that's like saying uh, an egg is just a chicken's way of becoming another. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a debate, but I feel like, you know, any award show isn't really for the artists. And I, I learned this over the years of being in this industry since I was 22 years old. Um, it really is a time for the people who are within the industry to decide and to, you know, pontificate and to be gracious and humble as well as to who they believe had the best year in whatever category. And that is always, that must be an interesting debate for people to sit in a room and discuss it. There's no artists on there. There's no, 
I, I'd be hard pressed to name an award where the artist sitting in the room mm-hmm. and the dude from Arcade Fire is arguing with you know Emily Haynes from Metric about <laughs> who did the best vocal. That yeah. would be an award show to see. So I think that's the first perspective everyone has to put into it behind the any the Grammys, the Junos, the the the, the Casbys, the whatever. It's all about a small group of people deciding who that year had an impactful year based on sometimes it's record sales, based sometimes a breakthrough single. Sometimes it could be based on how well you did in America. Sometimes it's based on how well you did in Red Deer. So uh, for me, I stopped trying. It's such a huge mammoth thing, and I don't really know those people. Like I've been around the music industry my whole life, but I don't really know how people who work, who do that, who do that you know, it's like you guys knowing, you know, you, you play advert, advert, adverts on the radio, but you don't know the minds behind the rooms of people talking about how the advert's going to look and sound. You just play it and then cut the commercial. Right. I kind of see the same thing about the commercial aspect of music, but it's a great question because I feel sometimes Canadians feel disconnected from it. They turn on the TV and they're like, who's this person? And then they they they'll go, they might go, where's this person? What who's this person? But where's this person? And they, it's not a congruent thing that all year they kind of can figure out. And I think that makes Canada kind of weird and and awesome and like kind of a socialist country is the fact that everybody kind of gets a gets a play at it, you know. Well, talk about hip hop though, which clearly has its roots in the United States, right? And I remember being in high school when Maestro Fresh West first came out, and you think, wow, this is cool. We got a, th- this big Canadian rapper, but it almost seemed like in hip hop that if you want to be legit, you got to sound indistinguishable from from the guys in New York. So, what is what is Canadian hip hop? Uh, well, you know, not to give too much of a history lesson here, but I know we're here to talk, and as a rapper, I basically have 16-bar one-way conversations for a living. So, <laughs> I will take so, the history lesson, so, though. Um, not to go, but the history of hip-hop is actually West Indian in the fact that it comes from something called toasting. And toasting is, you know, people might hear it, you know, whatever, if you want to talk about, you know, Shabba Ranks or, you know, I'm going to try to say Sean Paul or someone who's more commercial. It really comes from the West Indian community that came to, that immigrated to America in the 70s, early 70s, at a party, these American dudes would go and see these guys on the mic, just talking in their Jamaican accents and doing what they're doing. And they, like America does, they adapted that to become hip-hop. So the joke's kind of on us because we have a very, very, very powerful West Indian community in Toronto and Montreal, especially the East Coast. And I think that's why we had a boom there with, like, Maestro and Socrates and Cardinal. And we, we were really going toe-for-toe with Americans in the late 80, late 90s, early 2000s because the West Indian aspect was huge. Like, some of the biggest rappers at that time was, like, Busta Rhymes and a lot of mm-hmm. guys who were actually American but had West Indian roots. And a lot of the best rappers who end up being at the top of the game in America actually do have West Indian roots. So it, it's kind of a throw-up. I, I always find that the, it's weird that the biggest, one of the biggest songs in the world this year was from Justin Bieber, and it's a reggae beat, mm-hmm. you know, and that's very Toronto, and that's very West Indian. So, again, it's across the board, but I do agree with you that I don't know what, what, what premier or prime minister wrote this essay for Canada called In Bed with an Elephant. I, I forget the name of the, the person who wrote it, but um, it, it influenced somebody to create, you know, all the all the grants we have. This apparently this person who this is a story that I'm told read this essay by a prime minister of ours was really worried that American culture would, you know, the the, the premise of the essay was we're in bed with an elephant, which means that if you're in a bed with an elephant, anywhere that elephant moves, you you got to move. <laughs> and that's what American culture is to Canada. So that's why we have like Video Fact and Bravo Fact and so many great grants where a kid can be in like the suburbs, wake up one morning, apply for a grant, and then make a music video and it ends up on Much Music, which is kind of what I did, is because there was always this 
fear that American culture would kind of overtake ours. But right. um, so that, that, that kind of speaks true to your point in that it's very difficult for a black person or an ethnic person or someone who has their own culture, not American, to make hip-hop music and to be just as powerful doing that and not sound like an American person. But I, I never looked at that as something negative. You just got to be good. You know, I yeah. think you got to you got to be and you got to be original. I think there's ways to do it if you can. I mean, no one ever told anybody that a skinny dude from LA named Snoop Doggy Dog would ever <laughs> make a type of music that over. Yeah, he did all right for himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a, he had a southern <laughs> drawl. He didn't look like right. anyone. He dressed differently. Hip hop kind of accepts people, no matter where you're from. Whether you're Eminem, you could be white. You know, fat, tall, you know, gay. It does. I think hip hop. At the end of the day, as long as you're skilled, people tend to be mesmerized, much like a martial art, off of your skill, That's and then they figure out where you're from. You know. Yeah, Cass. But I mean, yeah, and then they figure out where you're from because you being a Canadian rapper that didn't hold you back. I mean, you got international acclaim kind of out of the gate with a lot of opportunities south of the border, but even abroad and some, uh, some you know, acclaim, some awards, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, d- does. Do we need CanCon and all these grant systems and stuff like that in order for you to get that acclaim, or is it just coincidental? Um, well, here's the thing, and I throw this out to all the Canadians listening today um, when it comes to music. The thing about America is there is no grant. You know, what happens is is that you wake up one morning, and you might be someone that lives in a ghetto, and you have a choice to make. Are you going to go to school and get a scholarship? Are you going to go to school, do well, and become an astrophysicist? Are you going to sell drugs on the corner? Are you, there's a million things that a kid has to decide when he's in a high-pressure situation as a teen. And a rap became something that allowed a lot of people to make a living and make millions of dollars just talking about what happened to them. You know what I mean? So for me, I guess the, the, the question about whether the, there's no grant system in America, and that creates a whole other different culture with hip-hop. You know, you have, you have Tupac, you have Biggie Smalls. These two dudes were shot because they rapped. You know, yeah. that's what happened. So what the grant system kind of does to me is it takes out, there's no, there's no sugar daddy. There's no, you, you can't pay to play here. You, there's, you can't wake up one day and call up a record, a radio station. I'm going to give you ten thousand dollars to play my song. That doesn't happen in Canada because the, That's illegal. Takes it, it happens in America because because people don't have grants. You know what I mean? So right, you take okay. away the grants, yeah, you're going to get probably a more hardcore, authentic, gritty street thing. I don't I don't know how gritty is going to get for Red Deer, or you know what I mean. But I yeah. mean, you, it's good. But 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 but. You're gonna you're gonna now create an industry where people are gonna be climbing and clawing over each other to get that chance. So I think what the grant does, in my opinion, it gives it takes the pressure off of people, kind of looking at it like this hustle, you know, because it is a hustle because you got to get your little application package together. <laughs> but yeah, that's but don't about, they give to the, the same guys? But that's finding my, a grant writer is the extent of your hustle. Yeah, that's my to- knock on it. Is that whoever gets the best grant writer can kind of get to the front of the line? And it's like, you know, I mean, I've, I've been in in radio stations where we're picking the bands that we're going to play on the radio. And, you know, it's like, hey, Nickelback's got another single out. We don't even have to listen to it. We're just going to put that in the mix. Right. So, And, I mean, it, and it, that comes at the expense of, because that's like one of four spots for a new Canadian track that we're going to pick this month. That comes at the expense of somebody who we're not going to listen to today because we filled four spots. Right. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, I hear it all the time where people say stuff like other bands tell me, well, I called this radio station and they really like my song. And what was their reply? What did they say? I said, what did they say to you? They said, we have a long list of CanCon that we have to address, right. you know, so then it becomes that kind of thing where it's like everybody's got a grant now, so now what? And I think 
that's what it comes down to with everything. You know that story about the devil and his best friend are walking down the street, and the de- his best friend goes, "You're not the devil." He's like, "Okay." Prove it to me. He's like, "What is that man? What is that man wearing? Uh, what is that man thinking?" He tells him, "What is that? That? Da 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 da." And he the, he eventually says to him, um, "Well, what, what what did that guy just? He, a guy bent down in front of him and pick, picked up something and put it in his pocket." And the, the devil's best friend said, "Well, what did that guy put in his pocket?" And the devil said, "A little piece of truth." <laughs> and the devil's best friend said, "Well, that's not a good business for you." And the devil said, "No, no, I'll just help him organize it." You know what I mean? So it's like, for me, that's a story that sticks out to me, is that no matter what you do, there's always going to be an organization of art. It doesn't matter if it's organization because the Grammy people say it, or if Leo DiCaprio doesn't get one, so that organization, now there's always a loophole. If everybody in the world had green eyes, the person who showed up with blue eyes would be outcast. It doesn't matter if everybody was white or everybody was... People, the the minor differences always create conflict. So I don't think the grant, I think I like our grant system. I like that the problem is that a grant writer has to be good. I'd rather that than someone, you know, cheat his best friend to get a record deal because if he doesn't get the record deal, he can't feed his mother. Right. You, you know, know, so, so I, it's, it's, it's all, it's like, it's like, what do you want, right? What do you, what did you think you were going to get? Is everyone, what do we want? I think if we could all decide that, I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't need a political system, that's for sure. You could never get people to agree on everything, right? But I'm here and I'm living and I'm still making, people still care what I do and I had a great career and I keep going and I think the fact that I, I'm even here talking to you and people and I can listen in on two people talking about a song I did 10 years ago <laughs> is testament that you can sort of make it, you know? Right. But I, I could dish some dirt if you want me to. I could flip it on Bob dirt? Dylan stuff right now and, and <laughs> be negative for the next. Well, no, I want to ask you about. <laughs> it's kind of sunny in Vancouver, so I'm having a good day. I want to throw the name Drake out there, and I, I wonder the effect that that he's had. Uh, you know, making it, it cool to 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 boast that you're from Canada, you know, from Toronto in his case, and opening uh, the door to to hip hop music. Maybe does does it make it easier for hip hop artists in Canada, or is he kind of does does he squeeze them out in a way? Uh, well, you know. If you want to talk about Aubrey, who's a friend of mine, I think that the thing with him, people have to remember, is he's an actor. Okay, this is a guy that spent some odd years on Degrassi being an actor. People forget that, and they don't want to talk about it. But he's an actor. So anytime you have an actor pretending to be a rapper, you're going to get a higher level of entertainment. You know, he had something, again, his father's an American. His father's a Southern American in a time where the biggest hip-hop in the world is southern rap you know so little wayne kind of took him under there's a lot of factors like you know that we all know there's a lot of factors that makes a a, a sperm impregnate an egg there's a lot of factors that allows a certain species to grow on the planet earth and there's a lot of factors that allow drake to rise to be one of the biggest rappers in the world and that is he had certain things behind him that no canadian dude had he was an actor on tv so he got the entertainment value and that it was just something for show a lot of people in canada take rapping very seriously a lot of people in america take it very seriously it's a religion to a lot of people there's just things you don't do you don't hire guys to write songs for you like he did. You don't, you know, so he threw the rule book outside the window, which is a punk rock at its essence, so you can't be mad about that. And he also had certain American sensibilities that most Canadian guys under the age of 25 didn't have. So is it luck? Mm everything's luck but luck is also when preparation and opportunity meet and he had those things does is he gonna in in 20 years did the rap game change because of him no because for the rap game to change there has to be four or five drakes 
when when Public Enemy was around, there wasn't just Public Enemy. There was Public Enemy. There was Tribe Called Quest. There was Queen Latifah. There was you know Run DMC. There was LL Cool J. There Chipping was six, Rob, seven, eight different dudes yeah. doing a different version of that type of hip hop that changed the game of hip hop. There's just one Drake. Right. So hey. the, the, unless there's four more Drakes popping up in the next year, a hundred years from now, people aren't going to look back and say the era of hip hop changed. He will be a a, a, a a dominant figure for what he did and how he created, but he could end up being like Keith Partridge. We don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? He could like it doesn't. Twenty years from now, he could be like the Spinal Tap. It, we don't know. Time is. Humans really don't even know if what we're doing is right right now. We we assume it. We assume it because we're living and we're breathing and everyone's living. But in twenty, I still go when I see the old airplanes and I see that there used to be cigarette, you know, Asterisk cigarette thing, yeah. disposables in the arms of old old airplanes. I think, wow, humans, this was serious. Dudes were smoking on a plane like it was nothing. <laughs> we thought that was the way to be, and then we find out fifteen years later that we were killing people. So for me, it's like I'm not accusing Drake of that. I'm not accusing hip hop of that. I'm just saying everyone's just got to calm down. Canada, Canadians get a little up. When one dude, Canada's a socialist country. They don't like when one dude shines too much. <laughs> We're a hockey play and team effort. Everybody's got to be a nice guy kind of thing. And because Drake is kind of dominated, people don't know what really how to integrate that into their intelligence. They're like, well, what does this mean for everyone? It, and essentially, it just means that an actor became a rapper and showed kids what they wanted to see. Right. It's the story of it, right? It's yeah. a, so adults, we don't relate because we're like, we see through it. We're kind of jaded a bit. We're kind of like, oh my gosh, this is what kids are about. But our parents thought the same thing about us when we liked the Beatles or this person. Or for me, it was Michael Jackson. My dad would walk by on the TV. He's like, that's the guy you like? <laughs> I, you know, he's like, Kaz, what is I, he wearing? What, 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 how come he's so shiny? I hate, you know, to cut in on your, I hate to cut in on here, man. We just got to take a, a quick commercial break here. We, I told you, I'll keep talking. There's cool. no commercials today on this radio. <laughs> well, that's cool because I, I, I got a question about somebody else who's not in the same category as you. So let, let's just take a quick break here. Chaos is our guest. He's nominated in the category of Rap Recording of the Year at the Junos that are this weekend in town here for his uh, uh, recording, Can't Fly Without Gravity. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge. You're listening to News Talk 770. Jock Wilson live on location this morning at Road Sport Auto Credit, hanging out with Howard Ackman, 30 years of credit rebuilding. And Howard, Road Sport, credit, uh, Road Sport Auto Credit is all about helping good people with bad credit. That's right, Jock. We've been doing it for over 30 years. Today, we've got lenders on location. If you've been making payments on time, eight payments on your current loan, we can get you lower rates. We can switch you into a different vehicle, upgrade your ride. And if you've got credit issues, the lenders are here to help you get that new vehicle today. And we've got a number, 403-273-7200. Call it now, and the lenders will get you driving. So two pay stubs, 29 bucks. I can get into a car today. $29, two pay stubs. You're driving today. Howard, good stuff. I appreciate it. Howard Ackman here at Road Sport Auto Credit. Give them a call. Check them out online, roadsportautocredit.com, as they have over 200 vehicles to choose from. That number one more time, 403-273-7200. On location at Road Sport Auto Credit. I'm Jock Wilson. Oh, no, no, no. Can't, can't have... <laughs> can't have... Uh, it'll be the wallflowers in the middle of a conversation about uh, Canadian music. The drum was here. Uh, so it's going to play Sunday morning. It's uh, the whole video there, but uh, <laughs> Chaos is uh, on the line with us. Uh, Juno winner, past Juno winner, Juno nominee this year. Uh, the new album is Can't Fly Without Gravity. He's playing tomorrow night, by the way, at the Hi-Fi Club. Here in Calgary, part of Juno festivities. Yeah, man, just throwing, I'm just playing some records. 
going to be cool. You're I'm, spinning, yeah? Yeah, I'm spinning, and there's a band called The Humans that everyone should check out. They're going right. on after me. Okay. It'll be really fun. Really fun night. Uh, we're getting tons of text messages. Big fans of yours are listening to this, and I hate to cut a good conversation short, but we got to be through this one in, in the next three minutes. But I, I, I just noticed in the, in the category uh, that you are nominated alongside um, Bad, Bad, Not Good and... Um, uh, Ghostface Killer, right? Yeah, and so you know when I see that, it's like that's best rap recording. But then, I mean, is it a Canadian rap recording? How do you how do you feel about having them in the category with you? Um, I I saw that and I thought, you know what, that's kind of weird. But but I also scared me because Ghostface Killer is one of the best MCs in the world. So I was yeah. just like, um, never put this guy in my category again. Um, I grew up on him and he was amazing. So from a, from a fan basis, I was stoked. Um, like I said, guys, will we ever figure out this great country of ours? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think we're figuring ourselves out yet. Why do kids do things? Why do they put on their mother's dress and then come out and their dad goes, what are you doing? You know, like, we don't know. They just, they do stuff sometimes to mess with you, and sometimes they do it because they just felt it. That's how I see Canada and this country of ours. You know what? I think they wanted to get those guys on the show. I think they wanted to get something. I get them in. They wanted to throw people a curve. Yeah. They wanted to say, hey, look, just because you throw an American MC on a Canadian music doesn't make them Canadian music un-American. And I think that's a cool thing. Do I think that you have to take it that far to play the state, make the statement? No, because the bad, bad, not good could have done that same record with Shad or something. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you have to kind of shut people down to influence them to do stuff, to be proud of themselves. You said we, have, we only have three minutes left. The only thing I will say about any of these awards in Canada that I get that kind of makes me irate, Canada, love yourself, man. Love yourself. <laughs> Life is short. You're going to turn around and be 50, 60, 70, and then you're going to do it, and everything's going to make you cry. And you're going to hear a song in the grocery aisle of you know, your local in Safeway, and you're going to cry because you, you realize later on it's happened to me already. But the yeah. thing about it is is that we need, to take, we need to love ourselves as a country and stop defining ourselves based on what America does. If, that's, if, that's what, if I, anyone could take any away, away thing from this conversation... Uh, yeah, over the years, I was a militant kid, and I said a lot of stuff, and I've matured, and I've become a man. But one thing I, that still makes me pretty upset is the is when I look at Canadian kids and Canadian people on the jock of America and thinking they're cool because they, they somehow have American music in their cassette deck or their CD deck or their whatever they have. And that, to me, makes me a little sad. I feel we need to sort of be okay with ourselves because I'll tell you something. Jimmy in Wisconsin loves Wisconsin. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when, when the De La Soul or when Kurt Cobain played Spokane, they didn't hide it in their time, in their feed. In their feed. You, when I put that I'm playing Winnipeg, fan, people actually go, what are you doing in Winnipeg? I'm like, Neil Young's from Winnipeg. Right, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, wake up. Like, the only way you're going to be interesting is when you're interested in yourself. All right, to, cool. To you sh- know what? That, that's a wicked line to end on. And I, and I, I hate cutting you off because this has been an amazing conversation. But I want to do this. I'm going to put you on hold. So you can hear us so talking. So we can continue the interview without the public? Well, no, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool, too. I'm going to put you on hold so you can hear us talking about your music some more. So don't hang up. We're going to say goodbye to you when we're doing the news break, okay? Thank you, guys, man. Awesome. Great conversation. Absolutely, man. See, you know, it's interesting to hear him say that, Rob, because I think about that song, Crab Bucket, and when it came out, and I was playing that on the radio the first time. And then even when we just rolled it back there, you know, 20 minutes ago, it's a totally different song to me now. Like, it's yeah. kind of, you know, it's, it's a completely different thing. So he's talking about how, like, you're going to turn 50 one day. It's like, I hear, I hear, there yeah, you go. Yeah, this too. I still hear this on the radio. Sunday morning. 
And the dog is mine is another one I absolutely loved spinning. But um, That's right. By the way, chaosmusic.com, k-osmusic.com. That was cool, man. All right. Uh, maybe maybe, maybe more of that in the future. But, yeah, go see him at Hi-Fi Club. Uh, he's playing there. He's spinning there, he said, uh, tomorrow night. We're, we're late for the news to 1130. You're listening to Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. All right, welcome back. The uh, soup today is beef barley. Uh, I'm Roger. That's Rob. BB. B and B. I always say, <laughs> slide down a bowl of that BB. Always say that. <laughs> always. I'm saying it constantly. Because <laughs> I mean, the first time I think I've ever heard you use that phrase was just now. Oh, really? So I think you're being disingenuous when you say always. <laughs> Frequent. Okay. Anyway. Let's not split the hair. Hey, it's a historic weekend in the city of Calgary because the hockey rink is being taken over by the musicians. So they're giving the, the music venue over to the hockey players. A little switcheroo. The Junos at the Dome, the Hitmen don't have access to it. So they're going to they're gonna play their uh, playoff uh, game against the Red Deer Rebels on the ice at the old corral. Do they oh, still have yeah. ice in there? You know what, actually? Guess, the, well, the, they must take it out. I don't think the Super Dogs run ice. The ice in the corral is so old, there's a woolly mammoth under there. Oh, my goodness. It's the first time in 18 years, I understand, that junior hockey will be played at the Stampede Corral. And mm-hmm. again, if this whole BMO renovation and this massive overhaul of that goes ahead, that's going to be it. The Corral will be history, literally. And, yeah, and you know, the Corral is history now, uh, and it's great history. Anybody who's ever been in that building for like a trade show or for a, an event at the exhibition in Stampede, like you walk the halls, you see the pictures. And it's, it's this amazing sports history of Calgary that even predates the Flames, predates even the Calgary Cowboys, the WHA team that played in there. I think you'll even see like a photograph of the Tigers, the, the Calgary Tigers in there who played hockey here, I don't know what, like a century ago almost. Oh, yeah, and there was, the, there was a hockey team called the Stampeders for a while. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, Stampede Wrestling did a lot of big events in the Corral, and that's certainly a part of Calgary's history. But uh, those... Those flames, the Atlanta flames, remember they said uh, move to, to Calgary and we called them the Calgary flames for whatever reason, <laughs> but they played in the corral. You know, we, maybe we can get to the bottom of that story too when we uh, welcome our next guest to the program. He is the first uh, voice of the Calgary flames way back then broadcasting uh, the hockey games from the Stampede Corral. Bart Daly joins us on the phone now. Hello, hello dad. <laughs> <laughs> Good afternoon. <laughs> I didn't know how we could get around that, and I kind of let the cat out of the bag yeah, right good. off the top of the show. But uh, we, yeah, we I'm, I'm not ashamed to call you my son. Oh, well, good to <laughs> That's good. Uh, we, yeah, <laughs> we didn't have to go too far to, to track down this guest. So um, t- take us back then. I mean, the the uh, I, you know you were you were present. You were around when, when the news of the team was coming uh, to Calgary was was made. Uh, did it seem like a crazy gamble to have the Flames come to Calgary? Oh, I don't think so. I, they knew it would be a success when the team got here. I'm thinking back uh, to when you called me this morning to set this all up, and I, I think to myself, I'm not the greatest historian, but I can tell you a little bit about the building. Uh, you should be calling Eric Bishop or Bill Powers, a couple of the uh, past departed sportscasters from town, or, right. or Joe Carberry. Um, back in 79 and 80, word got out that uh, the Atlanta Flames were on the block, and and the city council was dealing with them, and Alderman Pat Ryan told me, we got them. And all of a sudden, someone named Nelson Scalbania shows up on the scene, and uh, he's the major buyer. 
eventually sells half of his stake to a Calgary conglomerate and and peddles the broadcast rights to Molson's. And before you know it, uh, the 1980-81 season arrives and the Flames are the Calgary Flames and they're playing in the corral. Because the the idea was, I guess the the Saddle Dome was in the works at that point, right? But the, it wasn't going to be ready until like '83, as I understand it. Um, well, in the works, in that it was a dream that something had to be built. Yeah, yeah. yeah there were three seasons before the Saddle Dome uh, uh, came to be the home. Um, when they moved in to the corral, yeah, that was part of the deal that uh, we'll get a building up as soon as we can, and it took them three seasons. You know, you'd, you'd be broadcasting Flames games in in every stadium in the league. Uh, I imagine. How did the how did the corral compare to uh, other teams' barns, if you will, at the time? Probably the worst in the league. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly the smallest. Um, but some of the stadiums I broadcast in uh, uh, have been mothballed too. The Chicago Stadium, the Boston Garden. Uh, Jack Kent Cook's fabulous forum, which was anything but fabulous, and some of those buildings have come down. But the corral was uh, a good place to broadcast because of the sight lines suspended from the roof, yes, but not a very high roof, and you're right over the ice. So it was a very, very good place to broadcast hockey. You're right over the ice. You were in like, like a. Uh, I, I kind of got the impression that you weren't in a press box at the corral, but that you were sort of in this cordoned off area that was uh, more in the in the stands. No, no, no. There were two press boxes in the corral. Uh, I can't remember which side the broadcast booth was on, but uh, the two broadcast uh, booths were side by side. The home team, Doug Barkley and myself, and then the visitors, just uh, paper thin wall uh, apart from us. In fact, we used to reach over and pass each other a, a Coke or a hot dog or something and exchange notes with one another. We were just an arm's length away. Do you remember how many people they could fit in there? It would have been no more than 10,000, I'm guessing. Oh, not even close to 10. No, really. Um, maybe 7,200. I know when uh, the season was announced, uh, Cliff Fletcher said um, all seats, $21 no matter where they are in the building. And people scoffed, you'll never sell tickets at 21 bucks a pop. <laughs> but um, they sold out uh, within days. Yeah, no kidding. Um, what was the, the facility like for the, for the players? Because there's this one picture that I see of the Flames walking to the ice and they're, they're walking through like the concourse, basically, um, um, you know, on a path that's, you know, separated from the fans. But the fans were kind of like right there. Was that a one off sort of thing or was that a nightly occurrence? Like I say, you might be getting <laughs> into areas where I can't nights. handle, but <laughs> I recall coming into the building in kind of a private area. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of mixing with the fans uh, and the, the players seem to enjoy that too. The, the the building, as far as the opposition was concerned, was uh, a spooky place. You, you've heard of the high boards there, mm -hmm. uh, and, and they were. They were probably four to five inches higher than the conventional boards in other arenas. So going over into the bench or coming onto the ice, uh, that extra height, you might lose half a step and someone uh, has a breakaway. And and then they always said that the corners were uh, square in the, the corral rather than rounded. 
And I do know that when the opposition practiced the day of a game, they'd be out there at the red line firing trucks into the corner to see where they bounce and how far they bounce. So whether it was true or not, it certainly spooked the opposition. <laughs> well, it's funny you mention that because there's a story in the in the Sun yesterday, uh, Lanny McDonald's reminiscing the first shift he took. I think it was his first shift that he took in the corral because the boards are so high, he jumped over the boards like players do, and he just wasn't anticipating the height. He landed, fell flat on his stomach, knocked the wind out of himself, had to crawl back into the box. <laughs> he said the whole bench was laughing at it. <laughs> well, they were certainly high, and uh, the guys were a little bit concerned uh, vaulting over those uh, high boards. But it must have been weird for them, eh? because I'm sure playing in Atlanta was a bizarre experience at the time. And then to go from Atlanta to come all the way to Calgary and then play in this, this weird little barn, it just must, the whole thing must have been insane for them all. Well, you can see the home ice advantage here. One team playing 40 games and knowing how high the boards are, mm. and the opposition coming in and playing two games there each year and uh, yeah. uh, and not knowing how to negotiate the rink as well. Yeah, you got to score all your goals in the first before they kind of get hip to the new routine. <laughs> um, so, so, so tell me this. I mean, there, there's so much history. And listen, I, I'll give you some credit here. You, you, you said right off the bat, you may not be the best historian for this, but you spent some time in that building. And as I was mentioning before, there's all sorts of people, uh, you know, that'll go there and then they can look at all the pictures of the trophy cases and see that there's a there's a pretty rich history wrapped up in that corral. Are there any stories that, that stand out to you, maybe from uh, uh, things you witnessed, things you, you covered there, or even just things you heard about there? Oh, boy. First, to deal with the uh, montage of photographs, it's incredible. I don't know where they're going to put them. But, you know, a, a lot of old-timers would tell me, hey, here's me, hey, here's me, right here. And, uh, and they'd point me out. In fact, the kid who just signed with the Flames, uh, uh, Jankowski, I, I understand there's a picture of his granddad playing for the Calgary Stampeders in a, in a picture on the wall there. The, um, the, the, the corral was a crowded concourse, and there was a night when um, I, I had to do a pregame show and uh, I couldn't get to where I wanted to go because of the crowd. <laughs> I knew I was short of time. I finally got there, and my guest had given up on me. So I, I devised something. I, I figured I'd talk to uh, uh, the uh, unknown fan. And I grabbed a fellow who I casually knew. <laughs> and uh, the guest in the show that night was Butch McFarlane. Butch is still around Calgary. I see him from time to time. Butch is uh, probably in his 80s now. And uh, he and I, now everyone, were the only ones who knew who the unknown fan was. <laughs> but he did three pregame shows with me. The first one was so good, I had to get him on <laughs> two more times. That's fantastic. Wow. <laughs> you want to awesome. get Butch McFarland sometime. All right. We should. And there was Fireman Roy was another character uh, at the games. Fireman Roy uh, came up and sat with me during a broadcast once. Uh, he never missed a Flames game at the Corral. Wow. <laughs> do you remember this, too? I don't know. It probably had nothing to do with what you did for a living at the time. But Scalbania owned a, a soccer team, and they played indoor soccer at the Corral, didn't they? The That's Boomers, right. the yeah. Calgary Boomers. Uh, well, the Boomers uh, played uh, outdoor soccer at McMahon, but I think they were also part of an indoor league. Yeah. They were short-lived, I think. They were <laughs> oh, yeah. Just a, <laughs> yeah. a, a one-year venture. 
That's too bad. Galbania was an interesting individual, too. Um, they always say that he never had any money, but bought the team with other people's money and never had a nickel of his own. And I, of course, can't verify that, but uh, those were always the rumors. That's fantastic. Who are, who are the stars of the team back then? Oh, well, Kevin Nielsen was the star. He led the team in scoring, and uh, the points he put up in that first year, 80-81, are still Calgary Flames records uh, um, that have stood to this day, I believe. But they had uh, they had uh, Daniel Bouchard in goal. He walked on them after about 15 games, and, and then they had Pat Regan and Rajon Lamelin. Oh, yeah. Brad Marsh was the captain who went on and played for the Leafs in Ottawa. They had Eric Vale and Don Lever, and um, um, Bobby McMillan played for them back then. Al McNeil was the coach. Pierre Page was the assistant. Uh, it was just a great year. So I didn't. It's it's such a weird old building. It's it's hard to make a case for keeping it, and it probably makes sense that if we're going to overhaul the, that whole area, that 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 it'd be gone. But I don't know. Would you would you be sad if if the corral was gone? Do, do you have the still a fondness for it? I suppose a lot of people will be disappointed uh, when I say I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) It's a building, and it served its purpose. Uh, It was opened to hockey on December the 26th of 1950. And on December the 26th of 1980, I believe the Philadelphia Flyers were in town. And the uh, public address announcer asked the fans to please stand and sing happy birthday to the corral. (laughs) So you got 7,000 people, happy birthday, corral. (laughs) Well, the Flyers thought that was the dumbest thing that they'd ever seen. (laughs) And the players, of course, uh, uh, talked about it. And for the rest of the road trips this year, uh, that year, they'd be sitting in the back of the bus singing happy birthday, corral. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's it's funny, right? I mean, it's it's storied here, but we we can't confuse the corral for like the Maple Leaf Gardens or (laughs) like Fenway Park. It's not it's not a cathedral to the game, is it? Very well put. Yeah, it's it's not quite in that class. It was built uh, sort of on a model of the of Maple Leaf Gardens. All right. Well, we'll we'll leave it at that. Thanks for sharing the, your your uh, your memories of it all with us. We appreciate it. But I want to leave you with one trivia question. Okay, go ahead. Uh-oh. I know the answer, but maybe uh, one of your listeners can uh, uh, get the answer to you. Well, I think Vinny who will be the one who the... participates because Vinny texted in at the start of this inter- interview to say, Bart freaking daily. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. What's the question? Who was the first Calgary Flame to score a goal in the NHL regular season? Was in the 5 5 tie with Quebec to open the regular season. Who got the first Flames goal? I'll leave your listeners uh, to get that one. All right, and I got a trivia question for you. Did, I, did you and I watch Willie DeWitt fight at the Corral? Is that where that fight was? Yes, we did. We right. saw Bert Cooper smoke him badly. <laughs> Smoking <laughs> Bert Cooper. Willie might listen to this show from time to time. He's still around, so we'll, we'll edit that out. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Thanks, Bart. Thank you. All right, there you go. Bart Daly, uh, as mentioned, he was the uh, first voice of the Calgary Flames uh, when they arrived from Atlanta at Nelson Scalbania. You know, Nelson Scalbania, by the way, he owned the Indianapolis, what were they called? The Racers. The Racers, where Gretzky played. And he signed Gretzky as a 17-year-old. Oh, really? So, I mean, otherwise, Gretzky would have gone into the draft. 
But Nelson beat him to the punch and signed him as a 17-year-old. My dad was a sports reporter, I think, in Montreal tonight. He broke that story in Canada. Are you kidding? No, oh, it's really? too bad we didn't uh, have him on the phone. <laughs> um, okay, uh, I want to get to Susan's phone call, but we're really late for a break. So, Susan, uh, stand by, please, and uh, we're going to get to you after this um, short message. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Good afternoon, Calgary. Jock Wilson live on location at Road Sport Auto Credit, where two pay stubs and $29 guarantees your approval today. Hey, due to the economic downturn in our province, you know what I'm talking about. Road Sport Auto Credit has been forced into credit amnesty, a great opportunity for good people with bad credit to purchase a quality used vehicle from Road Sport. Need that car loan today? Bad credit, no credit, no problem. Give them a call, 403-273-7200. That's 403-273-7200. On AISH, on Social Security. Call now, 403-273-7200. Self-employed, subcontractor, paid cash. Road Sport Auto Credit has a plan for everyone. 403-273-7200. A great selection of pre-owned vehicles here at Road Sport Auto Credit. Over 200 vehicles ready to go. They're checked out. They're ready to take home today. Drop by the website, roadsportautocredit.com, or drop by one of their two locations here in the city, Road Sport Auto Credit, live on location for News Talk 770. I'm Jock Wilson. Roger Kincaid and Rob Breckenridge, weekdays starting at 9.30 a.m. on News Talk 770 Calgary.